Summer drinking season is long, which is why non-alcoholic beer is a great addition to your cooler. But what makes you reach for one NA beer over another? Is it great flavor, variety of styles? Maybe you just like a cool can. Well, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, guess what? It's athletic. From IPAs, extra dark, sours, hazies, and more, to summertime favorites like light brews and goldens, it's the number one NA beer brand in the U.S. It's athletic. Ask for it. Fit for all times. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Think about it. You're hanging out at the beach. Maybe you're going to a music festival, ball game, camping, late night, early morning. Wherever the summer takes you, the best part is zero hangover the next day. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper! He's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. The managerial disciplinary tightrope, Premier League years showing its true value, non-league vicars, when exactly did old-fashioned number nines become old-fashioned, score lines that don't tell the full story, the language of Erling Haaland missing chances, can two players hunt in packs, tenuous football curses, the spice rack league table, seeing your name in the headlines, where and when is it most appropriate to do the geeing up the crowd gesture, and the Rolls Royce of the sea. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 256 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me on the adjudication panel, once again, Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Alongside you, David Walker. Hi Dave, um, big weekend for you. You're in Munich, I see. Lovely tweet from you. Oh, classic stag do behaviour here. Um, you went to see 1860 Munich. I now, did. Before you tell me what it was like, here's what I theorise it was like. This is how all football matches on stag do's go. You had a good time at the start getting into it because you're football literate. So you're quite happy to be there and you have a few beers. And you quite like the atmosphere and the novelty of being there. And then, and then it just kind of all kind of wore off. You got a bit cold and you wanted to leave. No, no, we had a much better time <laughs> than that. It was the, the weather was great, so it didn't get cold. It was, nice. it was. Um, if anything, it was too hot. There was no no shade. 
We were on, we were on a terrace with be- beating sunshine, and we uh, all wearing most of us wearing black as well. So you know that was that was difficult. But uh, thankfully, you can drink beer in the stands in Germany, so we were able to uh, cool ourselves down with some of those. It was a decent game, one nil win for eighteen sixty Munich against Freiburg Zwei, Freiburg mm. two. Oh right, what le- what league? Third tier. Oh, is it really? Because mm. I'd say another staple of watching, especially lower league football on a stag is, what do you reckon the score would be if we if we played them? Like, do you know, but like, you know, do you reckon 10-0? Like, what would it sort of be? Like, that, when I went and saw 1860 Munich, they were, they were lower down in the pyramid at that point. Right. Some of those discussions, especially after a few beers, like, no, like maybe uh, start to happen. No, they were, they were, they were a decent outfit. Both, both teams were decent. We wouldn't have had a chance. Didn't realise they were third tier, I have to say. Um, so you're going to become like an unbearable Bundesliga guy now? Well, no, I don't think I'm going to be tuning in every week, but I will, right. I think I will follow their fortunes from afar. I, I like, oh, the, I like right. the 1860 vibe. Look out for their results. Yeah. Nice. Okay, let's adjudication panel. In no particular order, really. I've just thrown this together, but it's all really good. Let's start with RJB1998, who is watching Celtic versus Rangers in the Scottish Women's Premier League. And uh, he simply says, has this ever been said about a manager before? Confirm it there, we can see. Sorry. Fran Alonso getting the yellow card. You'll have to be careful for the remainder of the game. <laughs> maybe, Walking a tightrope. <laughs> well, this is it, Charlie. Maybe maybe it's natural. We're kind of normalising the disciplinary process for managers. You know, he does have to be careful. Maybe the principle does apply to managers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it is true. And if it was someone like De Zerbi, say, in the Premier League, you can imagine quite easily that he would get a second booking. I guess it's just the fact that the cost of it is a lot lower than than a player getting sent off. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, I like the idea potentially of, I don't know, this maybe this has happened at some point, who knows, but a referee pointing to three different areas in the technical area. <laughs> that's an easy job, isn't it? There, there, there. Easy. <laughs> if there was a sort of border one, it's like, oh, if he's not on a booking, that's 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 the second yellow all day long. He's got away with one there. Yeah, um, just a little, little talking to. Okay, Dave, Charlie has rightly said that the stakes are a little bit lower for the disciplinary tightrope for a manager. But does the principle of the statements that apply, do they have to be careful? I mean, does is the same level of kind of risk involved here? I suppose it is, because one bit of back chat to the ref and you probably are off. So it, I think the same model applies. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's important for the for these guys to be right there. So they don't want to be sent off, do they? It looks like uh, in the pictures that we've got here, Fran Alonso, uh, the manager in question, is now standing with his hands behind his back. So it does <laughs> look like he's on his best behaviour. <laughs> Try not to handball it when a cross comes in. <laughs> no, I, I, I can see this catching on. I, I mean, you know, get, I think referees are getting more and more engaged with this. So I can see it catching on. Managers have It'll become be more of a thing. Do you think there'll be like a five bookings for a manager gets that one game ban and there's sort of yeah. there's a big sort of worry as that, as that ban's almost as that sort of a point of the season's almost coming to an end i suspect one of the big differences here the one thing that um we'll never really achieve with managerial disciplinary processes is that charlie a manager's never going to get booked in the first two minutes like that's gonna have to be careful now <laughs> for the next 88 gonna... minutes why do you think not you, you, you don't, <laughs> I don't think, think anyone's could... gonna get that riled in two minutes. Maybe, but like if there was a really contentious penalty decision or something. It's possible, but I feel like it's more of a build-up. It, it, it? It's, it's, definitely, yeah. it's definitely less likely, but I think it could happen. Okay, fine. Um, next one, Charlie, you're going to love this. Absolutely love it. This came from Mickey the Mackham, who's watching Luke O'Neill's My Sunderland Story for the club's YouTube channel. Here's O'Neill talking about when he first joined the club. 
the doc was like, have you ever had an injury before? I was like, nope, no, nope, everything's fine, I'm fine, I'm, I'm fine, honestly. Yeah, as soon as I got through that, I think I then signed everything, everything was completed and um, yeah, I was one, one happy man. Uh, they were like, do you wanna go down to the stadium? I was like, silly question, of course I do. So jumped straight in the car, went straight down to the stadium. I was desperate to see it. Um, you know, I've only seen it on Premiership years. So <laughs> got down there, saw the stadium and... Um, I, I, just, I think it's just really nice. I just think <laughs> yeah. I find it really charming. I've, I'm stunned. I really, I really thought that was just the preserve of the slightly older generation to still yeah. that that it carries on to people of that age. I mean, he would barely have been sort of football conscious when it was still the Premiership. Yeah. I mean, he genuinely would have been. It was last what fifteen years ago or something. Yeah. Fifteen, sixteen years ago. And the, he he looks about not much older than that himself. He's twenty eight currently, born in November nineteen ninety four. He's 28, that guy. Mm. Oh, I thought he was much younger. God, shows how old I'm getting. Dave, Mickey the Mackham continues, says, imagine the Premiership years being your only news source, finding out about the Iraq war nine months later, <laughs> sandwiched between Leicester beating Leeds and Arsenal's injury crisis. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, we, we know about footballers who don't like football and don't like consuming it. Maybe there are footballers who just consume life through football and nothing else. We need to get him on, see, and put him put him to the test against Charlie, see, <laughs> see if he's got a similarly encyclopedic knowledge of all of the uh, Premier League years. Well, he can spot stadiums on Premier League years. So, Charlie, what a challenge that would be. Seems like a nice glow. I'll happily have him on the pod. Let's see how we go. Right. Fantastic moment for one of our ongoing devices here. Dave Molcock writes in, says, I'm in training to become a vicar and had a weekend away meeting other people who were training. Meeting one person, chatting about how we were finding training, he said to me, well, I'm training part time for my sins. I couldn't hold my composure and had to laugh, which obviously drew a blank expression. Surely the most <laughs> significant context for a for my sins ever. Uh, the first, <laughs> the first genuinely religious for my sins we've had, Dave. I think. Uh, I mean, it's, it's good that they're they're just throwing this phrase around in these mm. circles. So does he feel like he genuinely has sinned? So surely, surely you'd want to throw yourself into it more. Mm. He's not giving it 110 <laughs> percent, is he, yeah, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. Part time vicar. That is a mate, yeah. I mean, I hoped when you said that that was going to be the big reveal here, but yeah, for mm. part time, that's a weird thing to focus on. That that's the Sinzi bit. I like the idea of all the vicars going away and training together. Mm. It's a St George's Park style mm. on a course. This bloke's just, this bloke's just a non-league vicar, though. He's got to go back and like ply his trade elsewhere. <laughs> They're doing their badges. <laughs> Church of England <laughs> DNA. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Right, um, this is this is very curious, actually. This came from uh, commentator Dan Mason, um, who was watching a clip from the BBC build-up to the 1973 FA Cup final, um, Sunderland versus Leeds, I believe. And um, uh, there's a portion of the build-up was um, set aside for the Sunderland players to be introduced to the viewers. Here we go. Uh, we're going to invite you to formally meet the teams playing in this uh, FA Cup final today, and we're going to start with the Sunderland players. And Arthur Cox is the man that we've uh, asked to make this introductions for us. He is the Sunderland coach. Vic Hallam, age 24, forward. We think Vic leads our line like Bobby Smith and Nat Lofthouse led uh, Tottenham and Bolton's lines. An old-fashioned type <laughs> of centre-forward. So, as, <laughs> as Dave Mason observes charlie i like that even 50 years ago center forwards could be categorized as being old-fashioned this is <laughs> yeah. amazing so when mm. what, at what point weren't they at what point were they not even cutting edge what point were they not even worthy of commenting on yeah that is going i mean you've got to be going back some way i mean do you think in the 1930 world cup they were talking about yeah he's just an old-fashioned <laughs> surely proper not. center forward you know let's treat this seriously dave i would say the mid to late 50s is the heyday of the old-fashioned centre-forward, as we now call them. Now, they were in their pomp. 
the battering rams and the focal points and the noble goal scorers and uh, you know your Nat Lofthouses and that sort of stuff legacy defining players and then somewhere between somewhere in the next 15 years I guess they became old fashioned so maybe they kind of became not obsolete but less fashionable sometime in the 60s then I guess but what were what were the who were the sort of modern centre forwards at that time because obviously you know they weren't playing like false mm. nines or anything or inside no. inside forwards that sort of and the game wasn't softening up was it yeah so it's not like, I don't know, maybe you couldn't batter the goalkeeper like they did in the 50s, in the early 70s, Charlie. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe the game was getting a little bit more technical. Yeah. And, and maybe they frowned upon that sort of stuff. Or m- maybe it went it. from having, you'd have two old-fashioned centre forwards up front to then the sort of more the number 10 playing with the number nine. Did you yeah, have, um, you know, and my timelines might be a bit off here, but, you know, I remember watching like, I'm sure there was a series about Mav- football mavericks was on TV a few good few years ago, and I'm sure mm. was was it like you know the 70s like Frank Worthington, Rodney Marsh, Dan yeah. Bowles were they mm. all around this sort of time? Are they sort of the newfangled fancy yeah. Dan strikers? Number tens with long hair, yeah, and sort of extracurricular activities, yeah, very much so. You certainly wouldn't have got those in the 50s, so maybe that's what it was. Yeah, but, I mean also. Yeah. Has old-fashioned centre-forward evolved a bit to the point that now could you... I don't know if you say old-fashioned centre-forward, but like someone like Defoe was talked about as like an old-fashioned... He By the end of his career, even, I feel like he was old-fashioned in the sense that he's just an out-and-out goal scorer. You know, he's, right. uh, all he's interested in doing is scoring. And he, and he was sort of seen as old-fashioned in the sense that, you know, back in the day, every team had a striker like that. But then with the growth of just playing one up front, you didn't really... So I, I don't, he was not an old-fashioned centre-forward like an old-fashioned big number nine, but you might say of him, yeah, you know, he's he's quite old-fashioned in the way, but, you know, all he's interested in is goals. You know, he's not he doesn't want to hold the ball up and stuff like that. Okay, so it's moved on. So, But, Dave, surely we still have old-fashioned, old-fashioned number nines, right? They are still about... He's a real throwback, isn't he? I mean, is Haaland... No. Is, is, is he being described as an old-fashioned number nine? No, not having that. But no, but... Big. But he's, I mean, he's not even that good in the air, is he, really? And he's not a battering ram in the in the old-style sense. I mean, he, he sort of steamrolls players, but doesn't bully them off the ball in a Mick Harford uh, kind of style, John Fashionu style. He's not throwing elbows well, around, not, is he? Yeah, yeah, OK, yeah. I mean, I did enjoy Big Sam called him the big man in this press conference, <laughs> as if he was talking about a kind of Duncan Ferguson. Yeah. So just reducing Harland and his ridiculous number of goals and everything he offers to, to the big man status. Just got to get close to the big man. Erling Haaland, a newfangled, old-fashioned number nine. A real throw forward. I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. But fascinating to know that we were still calling number nines old-fashioned back in 1973. Right. um, Some um, elections the other day, Charlie. All sorts of numbers flying around. But did you know who gathered 11% of the vote for the Conservative Party in Totten East? No. It was none other than the... Infamous pie-eating goalkeeper Wayne Shaw. Really? Yeah. Oh wow! He's back. Was it a publicity stunt this time, or don't know? Um, standing for election for Totten Town Council, such a great town and community. Looking forward to a new challenges with a great Conservative team. If you can't be nice, don't be nasty. The roly-poly goalie tweeted <laughs> Dave. Um, I, I mean, his brand is incredibly strong. Still, every other tweet at least references a pie. Or him right. eating pies. Okay, so he's not he's not sort of put all that behind him. He's still embracing the shy pie. away from it. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> the last picture of him on Twitter, Charlie, was uh, him holding three Frey Bento's pies <laughs> with some oven gloves. <laughs> what a commitment! Wow. 
to an increasingly old gimmick. <laughs> I mean, that it's six years ago that game that uh, that run. Oh, really? Yeah, it's I thought a long it was much time. longer. Okay, yeah, six years. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. All right. In that case, I'll let him off. I mean, some of us are still uh, one-trick ponies after all these years. So yeah, fine. I'd say six years is quite a long time to, to still be pushing that. But yeah, maybe not in football. But in politics, definitely. Only only one percent short of getting elected there, Dave. So uh, he's got work to do. Well, surely he should have called upon his mates at the Sun to get him a bit more publicity. That was that was who he tied up with for the uh, for the the stunt, right? Yeah. Or was it yeah. or was it a bookmaker? Either way, he should have he should have struck while the iron was was hot back then yeah. he would have got elected if he, if he do you reckon he would have got elected if he'd run in like the you know a year after it all happened or soon after <laughs> what, quite his, possibly when yeah. his star was highest um, yeah stalker never going to be higher than that I think it's probably one of the least glamorous footballers into politicians stories of all time but um, uh, I, I, I'm about to say good luck to him but um, his, his last tweet was egging on Matt Letizia so uh, let's move on over in the Airtricity League at the weekend, Charlie, Shamrock Rovers 2, Bohemians nil. Bohemians tweeted out um, a graphic with the score on it and said, a scoreline that doesn't tell the full story. We go again. Seacath asks Charlie, what scorelines do tell the full story when you think about it? I mean, I mean, I mean what, well, the, any can be misleading, can't they? I mean, like an 8 nil. <laughs> that you, could tell the story. I think you know what's happened there, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, funny you should say that. Not quite an 8-0, but the 7-0, the Liverpool-Manchester United, there was a bit of, well, actually, their XG wasn't that high. I think all Mm. their shots on target went in. That's not to say United were unlucky to lose the game, but it's to say that maybe wasn't a 7-0. It was just a day where everything that could possibly have gone in did. I'm not sure about this. I mean, I'm firmly behind the XG revolution, Charlie, but I don't think XG solely can be brought into the equation of a scoreline not telling the full story of a game. I think, I mean, quality of chances, I mean, to an extreme example, it could be seven own goals, for example. I mean, I appreciate that, and a penalty or something. To a certain extent, a 7-0 is a 7-0, right? Yeah, but then they're also, if if they sort of, if in a 7-0 you score three or four in the last 10 to 15 minutes, and up until then it was a reasonably close game, you're not saying, oh, they're unlucky to lose, but you're saying, because 7-0 conjures images of an absolute battering. Like, that's Mm. a... Proper novelty score. But can you imagine if Manchester United had tweeted out a scoreline that doesn't tell the full story we go again? (laughs) I wish they had. I wish they had. That would be brilliant. They just tweeted the XG. (laughs) Actually wasn't quite as bad as it looked. Right then, uh, were we talking about Erling Haaland earlier? We were, weren't we? Here's his day against Leeds on Saturday, condensed into uh, merely the commentary for his shots. Here's Haaland. Glazes it. Wide and over. Even for him, that was wildly optimistic. And De Bruyne has found the gap. Plays it back for Haaland. Oh! He is human. Slides it through for Erling Haaland. Oh! Well, it's not his day yet, is it? Alvarez pulls it back. Haaland! Not his day so far. Patient football from City down the left, then the right. Oh, he's hit the woodwork again. It's one of those days for the most prolific of marksmen. Lovely, subtle evolution of the narrative there, Dave. First up was a mere sighter. It was literally in the second minute of the game. So I don't think at that point you could pass any... Unless it was a glaringly obvious chance. I think 
there's any point in passing any comment on the bigger picture stuff there. But even then, it was a little bit, you know, for a player of his quality, you know, that sort of thing. And then after <laughs> that, the the emergence of his day as a concept began. And I think I think the first mention of his day was about the. 20 something minute uh, but with the crucial quality of his day so far which i mean is that too early he said it's not not his day yet was oh, the, right. was the first mention yeah then then i think it was it's not his day so far and then it turns into just one of those days <laughs> what? match the day was similar as well they went with something like well uh, maybe it's just not his day he doesn't have many doesn't have any. It was, I mean, that's. I, I was actually surprised, and I'm glad it was there because on match day when he did miss that glaring chance, I was waiting for the he is human after all, and it didn't come. Mm. So I'm pleased it came there. Good to see that still, still going strong. But it was just a lovely trajectory for the passing comment on Erling Haaland missing chances. So enjoyed that thoroughly. Next up, Wayne Thicket writes in. He was watching West Ham versus Man United on Sunday night, and he says Fletch just claimed Rice and Suchek have been hunting in packs, trying to get the ball back. Can two players hunt in packs? Or even a pack. How many players make a pack? <laughs> I mean, I was fully prepared, Charlie, for having a genuine debate about what the threshold is for players making a pack. But I think it's fine. Mm. I think it's fine because it's the spectacle of seeing it happen rather yeah. than the intricate details of it. If two players do hair after the ball and close one player down, I think that's pack. That is hunting in packs, plural. That's fine. Yeah, I, I think that ca- that's all right. And also, if you get much more than that, it can look a little bit like you're out of control. Mm. Then I think it's sort of a it's not that well coordinated a press. Yeah. If you've got three people going after one. Yeah, I think I think that counts. If it, if it looks like they're both sort of really going after the ball. I've just googled how many dogs in a pack and the the top <laughs> the, the top result is um from petplace.com understanding canine social structure. In the wild, the typical number of wild dogs or wolves in a fully fledged pack ranges between 8 and 15. Wow. That's like AC Milan 1988 <laughs> press, isn't it? The uh, aggressive offside trap. You can't have that. Well, that almost supports place. the point because then you're never going to have an actual pack volume. I mean, Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool's gag and press. Dortmund's gag and press. But yeah, I think I think modern pressing strategies really do negate the idea of a three-man hunting in pack situation. So I think two is fine. In, in, in an ultra-modern context. so I like the idea of a proper football man playing down, you know how they like to play down the influence. Like, dogs have been hunting in packs for centuries. <laughs> <laughs> we just used to call it canine social structures. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, lovely stuff. Speaking of ancient football cliches, um, this uh, lots of people got in touch about this. This was from Fulham versus Leicester on the World Feed. The co-commentary comes from David Phillips. Linking up with Tom Kearney here and Fulham are in once again. It's Harrison Reed. Vital save from Everson. Kenny Tete next up. Straight at the keeper. Well, once again, Leicester are sixes and sevens, maybe even less than that at the back. <laughs> I, I, I sympathise with this, Dave, because very few people know or care about the origin of sixes and sevens and it's almost too boring for me to explain the possibilities but um so i still have sympathies with the idea that people just think sixes and sevens is like a rating out of 10 for <laughs> <defense>. <laughs> they're at ones and twos uh, yeah they sixes really would be really would be good maybe even less that's brilliant i love <laughs> that's it superb. i love it who cares what the origin <laughs> is it sounds good six and seven sounds too high it's fine <laughs> love it yeah and they were they were all over the shop Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, next up. um, This this wasn't a bugbear for me at all, really, Charlie. It never really registered in my footballing consciousness. Until now, Luke of Norfolk writes in. And he's referencing um, a kind of common football writing theme of a curse. So a pattern of events that have happened that have been massaged into a narrative of a curse. Mm. Um, So things that have befallen teams who happen to have something in common. I suppose that's the best way of describing it, really. This came from 442, who were talking about the curse of sixth place in the championship. Blackpool are the last side to finish sixth in the championship and gain promotion to the Premier League through the playoffs, achieving that feat in 2010. Since then, 12 teams have been promoted, none of whom finished sixth. The curse. It's not a fucking curse. It's just the worst team in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it can be a curse if it's if it's sort of following the form book. <laughs> it would be. I mean, it'd be like the the Etihad curse for visiting teams. They rarely win. Exactly. It's a bit worrying. Dave, what about the, the curse of finishing twentieth in the Premier League? You're down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But I, I do like this because it, it flies in the face of, of something that is still commonly held. People still mm, go on about mm. all the time about, oh, if you finish sixth and you just get into the playoffs at the yeah. end and you've got the momentum. It doesn't happen. Because there I mean, was there a are... while where that was there was a, gr- a germ of truth in that. I, th- I, seem to remember, I think before this curse took hold, that there, there, there were a few teams who came up having finished sixth. Like West Ham, when they came up in 2005, I'm pretty sure came sixth and then did actually really well in the Premier League. I, I sort of do sympathise with... I mean... Uh, as we've spoken about before, Charlie, a, a lot of football observation is based on paranoia about what might happen to your team. So you err on the side of caution uh, almost too much. Um, but a good example of this curse-based paranoia would be Notts County's National League playoff against Boreham Wood at the weekend. Boreham Wood were 35 points behind them in the table and then they played each other in the playoffs. And then Boreham Wood went 2-0 up and you got the sense that this was this was kind of bound to happen. <laughs> mm. Like it, The narrative was so stacked up against Notts County in this respect. Like it was almost it was too comfortable for them and that's it. They fucked it and then they did. Well, it's almost like when you're watching your team play and there's a, an early refereeing decision that goes against you in the move. There's still loads to go. But if you're like, if we concede here, if we can concede here and you're almost willing it to happen so you can yeah. then vent and it's kind of the same thing it's like if we if we lose to a team we finish this far above it's just not fair um i think i think the bar should be higher for curses dave that's all i'm saying keep curses magical the most famous footballing curse or the most oftenly cited is surely the manager of the month curse mm. is that still a thing yeah that's Probably. still talked about, yeah. And yeah. that's cursy because there's no obvious logic to it. I mean, no one even bothers to suggest, Charlie, that they get really complacent after they've won a reward and don't even bother doing the video analysis. <laughs> ah, got game. February, February manager of the month. That's me done for the season. <laughs> Feet up on the table. Yeah, you, you sort it out. Go on, Sammy Lee, you do training. No, I think that's fine. Right, Sam writes in next. I reorganised our spice rack over the weekend in explaining the new setup to my partner. That, by the way, that, that, those words alone are brilliant. I instinctively described the lesser used spices now at the bottom of the rack as basement boys. <laughs> what are the panel's most basement boys, herbs and spices? Oh, God. Right? I'm going straight in, Dave, with cinnamon. It's just it's shit and it's horrible and I would never use it. And it's basically a desserty spice, not even like a cool cooking savoury spice. So that's straight in there as a basement boy spice. That's divisive in my household. I'm a big cinnamon fan. My wife is not. <laughs> very much sin. Very, very Marmite. I would say something like ground coriander because I'd much rather just have fresh coriander. But yeah. you've sort of got to have it for certain dishes, but it's not... I don't like coriander is great ground coriander it feels like a slightly diluted version smoked paprika like an upward looking kind of European place chasing um, traditional mid-table side like filler basically yes it's a banging spice it's nothing not harsh not going to blow your mind but it it adds something every time delivers yeah exactly it's sort of a short it's quite an easy shortcut I mean Um, what about you know your sort of uh, rosemary would that be down there that's not well, very think, used. Don't use that much, do you? Well, again, I think you depends on think, the meat, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah but you'd want yeah, the fresh meat stuff. specific spices. They, I mean, they are they're struggling, aren't they? I mean, turmeric, which I, I know you're a fan of, everything. Adam. Yeah, I know. Love it. Yeah, it, I mean, great for making rice. My wife <laughs> makes is rice yellow. Makes it <laughs> absolutely fit in everything. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, Garam masala. <laughs> Right, Keezy. <laughs> we ventured into which spice sounds most like it was read out by Richard Keys. And that's fine too. And that's fine too. Dave, Dave being very diplomatic here, not getting involved. Yeah, I'm showing my inexperience in the kitchen, really. Someone will buy you a spice rack for like your 40th one day. And then yeah. you'll know. Then you'll realise the ones that just remain sealed, you're never going to use them. They 
or your spice basement voids. Great stuff. I was worried that was going to sound too middle class, and it wasn't. So they're great. Now, we were talking about um, Bohemians earlier, Charlie, bemoaning that the scoreline didn't tell the full story of their game against Shamrock Rovers. Chris Thompson writes in now, says, um, score versus scoreline. Is there a difference? Where would one be used over the other? Instinctively, Charlie, I feel like scoreline is, is completely unattached from a game. It's, you're talking about a scoreline that could happen in a game. 3-2. Mm-hmm. Mm. and it's regardless mm. of the context a score okay. is the something that happened in an actual game yeah I, I yeah i think you would say and we were talking about it i can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or just off air but we were talking about 4-2 what an amazing scoreline that is yeah. yeah i mean we've already done it on this pod like the the bohemians thing was a scoreline that doesn't tell the full story mm. it's a as you say it's a 4-2 a 7-0 a 1-0 whatever you're addressing the numbers specifically rather yeah. than the result of the match exactly yeah, yeah. So yeah, Dave, if I asked you what's your favourite score line, I would say score line. I wouldn't say what's your favourite score. That would sound weird, mm. genuinely weird mm. thing to say. You'd, you'd be racking through your brain thinking, what's the best score I've ever seen at the end of an actual match? Yeah, and you wouldn't be sitting in the car listening to the radio going, tell me the fucking score line. <laughs> that's absolutely true. You'd also that's talk about things like, uh, you know, that that's not a pretty score line. Mm. at the end of the game as if you're kind of reflecting on it yeah it's just the sight of the score and nothing else so it's very isolated yes exactly yeah 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 what a a crucial difference that no one has ever messaged me about before and we've no one in the the history of humanity has ever commented on Chris Thompson has blown it apart and like if you'd asked me oh I saw you went to see 1860 Munich at the weekend what what, what was the score line (laughs) He wouldn't say that, would you? Say, oh, what was the score? But think. if you said 7-2, be like, God, that's a very Sunday league scoreline. You might say result, though, wouldn't you? Result Maybe. gets in the way there. Result sits in the middle of the two, I think. Quite more, ver- It's more versatile. Because you you're looking out for the results, but 7-2 is also a result. But not doesn't quite have the oomph of scoreline in that, in that context. Great question. Brilliantly answered. Now, this is great. This is uh, a lovely new entry into footballers' names creeping into popular culture. This came from Dan and Andy, who are watching Apple TV's new sci-fi show, Silo, starring Rashida Jones. Here's her lead character. Alison Becker, you have been charged with and convicted of violating the cardinal law of our society. Dave, on the balance of probabilities, I think Alison Becker is a deliberate act. It has to be. (sighs) What are the chances? Yeah. Surely, surely, because it's so, it's not common. I mean, it's, it's like, because when, when you said it's Rashida Jones, I was thinking, what names in the Premier League can, could plausibly be female? Mm. And I mean, there probably are a few more, but that is perfect. Alison Becker. I mean, too perfect. Charlie, yeah. yeah. Charlie, I, I tend to frown on people who use his full name. I just think it's odd. But um, in, in this case, I'm happy to encourage it. Um, how do you feel about it? Not not a pure coincidence, surely. No, and I, I do seem to remember it being spoken about as a thing and I suspect one of the writers just finds it quite amusing that as many did the juxtaposition of kind of quite flamboyant Brazilian goalkeeper with the name that we associate with a kind of middle-aged woman Alison Becker if it is a deliberate decision and it's it's a writer you know having a a bit of an in-joke but it's like if, if you are a football fan it takes you out of the moment straight away yeah in the show and it will colour your perception of that character, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe this moment of sort of dystopian draconian law enforcement is um, is inspired by the fact that Alison Becker continues to wear tights in the Premier yeah. League in all weathers. If uh, that's what the inspiration if, is. if there was a rival character in this show 
that uh, turns out to be called Edison Dimmerreich. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that would be too telegraphed, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Bit too much. Complete coincidence. Where <laughs> it is. Will McCartney writes in next, Charlie. He says, what are the parameters for he saw his name in the headlines there? If an audacious attempt is well saved or just misses, it would be a good effort. Must there be an unused passing option? Can Harland, whose name is mm. regularly in the headlines, see his name in the headlines in any instance? Okay, so let's deal Let's deal with the core concept here. In what footballing scenario would a player see their name in the headlines or see their name in lights? I was going to say, yeah, up in lights is the other yeah. one as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think the ideal combination is it's a player who doesn't score very often mm. going for a spectacular goal from range because then his name really would be up in lights and I think if he's ignoring an option because I think there's a little bit of a knowing chuckle <laughs> well he saw his name up in lights there didn't he doesn't get many Charlie's onto something here Dave it's definitely kind of it's a slight sort of rush of blood for a player who is unaccustomed to being in that position so that's that's the first thing and I think there's extra context here I think it has to be quite a potentially pivotal moment in a game it can like maybe a winning goal or or quite a decisive moment. I, d- I don't think it's a long-range effort, though, Dave. Necessarily, I think it's I think it's maybe more of a more of a clear-cut chance. But then they go for something quite emphatic, and it doesn't work. So, like a, a defender who finds themselves in the box, say, like a corner's come back in, and they've got a relatively easy chance or presentable chance in the box, and they've sort of. S- snatched at the finish or they completely miss it or they you know just blaze it over the bar blazing over the bar i think is, is it would be a great idea here but charlie i do sympathize with your suggestion because because it's kind of ambition isn't it like misplaced ambition yeah because i think what's the big thing that's going to make their name be up and lights is the spectacularity to use an arsene wenger word of <laughs> the goal because right. I'm not sure their name would be up in lights otherwise if it's just a kind of routine finish. In, unless it's just such a big moment. So you, yeah, you're I, suggesting I that they the kind of... think driving force. I think the driving force of having your name in the headlines is the fact that you did something big in the game. I don't think a good goal in its own right would put you in the headlines. It would just be a good goal. In a literal sense, yes. But I think in this one, right. I think it is more about that than actually the the moment. Because I think then it's a less whimsical... Like in your example, it's more like, ah, oh, he just wasn't the player you wanted that to fall to or he's just snapped at it a little bit. I, I I think there's more at stake there, whereas I think the Sora's name up in lights is a bit more whimsical of a, a kind of chuckle, almost like you know had a bit of a nosebleed there sort of thing. Okay, okay. On the other, on the more minor point, Dave, he says, can Harland ever find himself in a situation where he sees his name in the headlines? You have to rule it out, really, don't you? Um, because I don't think any of these contexts would ever apply to him. No. Because he's too prolific. He's, he's, he's so used to having his name up in lights. Mm. He's got an all-year-round residency. <laughs> I think the only thing with him would be if he was, he'd already scored five and he was looking to score like the Premier League's first ever double hat-trick, there might be a chuckle of a... <laughs> he, 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 wanted the, he wanted the record more, but yeah. still could be. You know, he, he saw the headlines there. He wanted number six. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So it's, so it's, it's a movable feast for depending on on what your your benchmark is. That's fine. Okay, this was good. This was really good. This is Lianco heading Southampton back into the game early in the second half against Forest. Ward-Prowse, brilliant whip on the corner. There is that goal back. A substitute goal for Lianco. <laughs> I've never heard this before, Charlie. Is a substitute goal worse than a captain's goal? Uh, yeah. Surely. I was thinking about this. We, we've discussed captain's goal before, haven't we? A substitute's goal. I don't think. I just. Don't, I don't get it. I don't think. I just can't imagine what it means. Yeah, I, mean, I it's don't. A very get... no, it's very. It's a very 
specific thing to say, but I just I can't imagine what the intention would be here. I think it's just to quickly convey that he's scored as a substitute. Yes. I, don't, I, I don't think there's really any sense that it's a particularly substitute kind of goal, <laughs> of which we can argue whether there is such a thing. I'm not sure there is. This is the other part yeah. of it, Dave. I don't think there is a substitute type of goal. Popping up at the back post, nicking mm. one. That could be anybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. could be. Yeah. Fresh legs, running through really quickly where everyone else is knackered. Is that may- a substitute may- goal? Maybe. Like, was, Possibly, was, yeah. was, that Torres, was Torres a sub when he scored that goal at the new Camp? That looks a little... A little bit like just, a substitute's goal. I mean, like he looks. Say he was. Yeah. I think he was because that was when Drogba was so the main man, wasn't it? Mm. Was that a su- in that like he's just on as as fresh legs basically, and he shows he's got fresh legs. But it, you're watching a, him thinking, oh, he's not attuned to the game. He's he's he's, he's going to fuck it up. He's not he's not up to speed. Wasn't there the Solskjaer thing that he was so good as a super sub because he'd be watching, analysing the opposition players yeah, yeah. as he went on? Just there's, there's no specific type of goal that. That lends itself to it. It's just a goal by a substitute, isn't it, Dave? Torres did come on in the 80th minute of that game. There you go. Oh, right. So he didn't have much time to get up to speed. There we go. Substitutes goal. I just never heard it before, ever. Ever. Uh, there we go. Ben Wright from the same game, Dave, says very disturbed by Forest defender Felipe doing the Ging the crowd up gesture after getting found in a defensive position in the 61st minute. What are the most and least appropriate G up the crowd <laughs> moments? That's very much at the lowest end of the spectrum, I would say. Um, I mean, winning... winning. A, I mean, I can understand winning a foul to eat up some precious seconds, but even then it's the 61st minute. So it's probably the most tenuous situation to G up a crowd in. And it's just relief, if anything. Is the Ging up always related to the previous incident? Sometimes it's just a break in play and they're near, you know, they're just feeling the atmosphere and they okay. want to just, just G up the crowd. I don't, it's a, you know, it's a big game, big occasion, a game they had to win, really. Okay. I mean, the it's ideal a, of uh, one is if you're sort of Seamus Coleman or someone, it's already a quite feverish atmosphere at Goodison Park and you go in with either like a big tackle, I think then you can G them out up. Out wide. Or, out wide, always out wide if you're, yeah, yeah, especially if you're him. Or they are go, they can't get out. The opposition team just really can't get out, and you go and block them, and for you force a throw deep in their own half. I think you're then going crazy at the crowd to to get on them even more. Top notch, top notch. I think the, uh, that can only be beaten for its suitability for geeing up the crowd by uh, like a monumental block in the last minute to stop a high xg mm. chance for the opposition, and th- at that point. You could probably G them up, but I don't but, know. Yeah, but in that sense, you're more likely to be swamped by teammates. You don't necessarily have the space to G up the crowd and you're in the penalty. I think it's out, it is an out widey thing because you're near, or if you're in the corner, because mm. you're near the fans. And the crowd wouldn't need Ging up in that moment either mm. because they're already they're already going mental about what you've done. So there has to be a disconnect between like the spectacle of what you've done so I think the Seamus Coleman out wide scenario is good yes because it's also partly performative in that example it's it's showing like we're so pleased with how much we're sort of stopping you from playing out Mm. There was a good one at Watford um, when they played Spurs in 2019, I think. All right, uh, Crochet, where, come on. <laughs> where uh, Troy Deeney just shoulder barged Davinson Chan- Sanchez like off, just off the pitch. I mean, mm. You know, fair challenge, and I think we won a corner from it or something. But it was just such an emphatic, just bash off you go, son. And it re- he then did the geeing up of the crowd. And I think yeah, we scored, from, we scored from the resulting corner. I think so was that 2018? Was that the when Watford started the? 18 at the start really well. of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, yeah, won, they won four, four in a row. 18-19. Yeah. yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, winning a corner, very good for Ging up crowds. Because you've got, you've got in, in most cases, you'll have a crowd essentially surrounding you in that situation. So it's a great Ging up moment, like conducting an orchestra. There we go. Right, this came from Paul Elliott, who is watching MasterChef Australia. What's the dish, please? 
I've done my take on a tuna tartare. Why this dish? Um, well, going into the pantry and, and seeing the yellowfin tuna, I guess that's sort of the Rolls Royce of the sea. I only included this, Charlie, because I'm not convinced that the yellowfin tuna <laughs> is the Rolls Royce. It's a huge claim. There are there are other massive claimants to this title. I mean, a lobster. I mean, or am I am I am I sort of preoccupying myself too much with the end result as as a food stuff? Yeah, I think that is a re- that's a, an interesting <laughs> <laughs> subplot here. Yeah, are we talking about you know how they move as when they're animal. in the sea, or yeah, once they are caught and prepared? It's a huge point. Clearly, the lobster in a in a dining sense is more Rolls Royce, but not in a. <laughs> Not in a movement sense. In a movement sense, would it be, I don't know, would it be like a killer whale or something? I think one of the whales, a humpback, because blue's too big. Blue's like a juggernaut. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you want it to be one of the big big, the big the beasts of the whale world, because that's not that's not quite right for old <laughs> But rides. dolphins, or are they too, are they too sort of nimble? Too, they're too nippy. Like Porsches, yeah. the Porsches. They're like Porsche-shaped as well, aren't they? So they're the Porsches of the sea. Yeah, it is quite... <laughs> one of the sharks, maybe. Well, now you think about it, maybe the tunas are fine. They're, yeah, it's, it's it's a delicious fish. So all round is quite Rolls-Royce-y, from, from sea to plate. They are quite big, <laughs> aren't they, tunas? Quite big fish, so they do yeah. have the size yeah, element. Big old boys. Mm. Big yeah. boys. Fine. Right, good. Who are the basement boys of the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> right, down in, right down in Mariana Trench. <laughs> yeah, there's really weird fish at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Genuine, literal basement boys. Um, no keys in grey corner today, um, simply because the only keys in grey material from the weekend was a six-minute video, uh, record-breaking stuff from the B in sports coverage of Keezy just laying into Eric Ten Hag again. So it, <laughs> I, I had, just didn't have, I didn't have the energy for it. There's nothing more to say. I had the pleasure of seeing um, B in live in Ooh. Germany on Sunday. It's for, always a big for, moment that for um, Newcastle against Arsenal. It was yeah, it was Keys Gray and um, and McAteer in it, live in the studio. Like separate, removing yourself from the Keys and Gray corner <laughs> phenomenon for a moment. Is it good? Is it good coverage? Well, I didn't see enough of it, really. Mm. I just saw them. I just We got in there quite soon before the game. So it was basically just Keezy throwing to Conor McNamara and Jim Beglin. Jim Beglin, which was a nice uh, yeah. bit of mm. a throwback. But um, yeah, just the sight of them against that video wall with McAteer sitting in between them was enough to um, get the juices flowing. Yet, yet to kind of really kind of absorb the whole product in all its glory. Um you know, bucket list thing for me, clearly. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, anyway, thanks to you, Charlie. Great education panelling today. Thank you. Thanks to you also, the spice list, David Walker. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back later in the week. Cheers. The Athletic. <laughs>